0: Amen. You guys can grab a seat. How are we doing tonight? Yes. We free from the COVID for another 24 hours, huh? I got it this past uh, summer. It was horrible for you guys that have got it too. Like we're brothers. We have the antibodies. We are free for the next three months. We are superheroes. All right. Nothing can ever harm us ever again because we have the antibodies. But yeah, I'm the, the lead pastor, going to be the lead pastor for the church plant that's going to be in Cincinnati. And I want to tell you why I'm excited about Cincinnati for a second. Uh, it, I've been, like, like Timmy, I've been there maybe three times, probably spent a total of uh, probably 48 to 72 hours in the city at all. But why I'm in love with Cincinnati is because there's a university that has 46,000 college students and nothing like this is happening there. In fact, there are 90,000 college students in the city of Cincinnati and we couldn't find one church that had a college service and a college pastor. It's four universities. It's almost nine UNIs. And the reason why many of you are seated where you are right now is because some people who are comfortable in Ames And went to school at Ames and were so impacted by what God did there, they decided they needed to take it to another university. And that's why SALT in Cedar Falls exists. And so tonight, like, I am so excited for you to hop into that interest meeting and hear how you can be a blessing to another group of people to help something like this happen because how impactful it's been in your life and what it's meant for you. That you would take a two- to three-year detour in your life To help establish a new work of God, a new outpost and movement of the gospel. In a place if you didn't, it wouldn't be there. I'm super excited about it. And I'm excited about talking to you guys. If you don't know me, I've been here for about a year. I'm married to Laura, not the one that was up here, a different one. Okay, she's at home. With our, our seven year old son Jackson, we call him the monkey because he climbs on everything. I think the only person that can outclimb him is probably Timmy and his wife. They're like big climbers. If you can, then you can go challenge Jackson. I promise you, it'll be fun. Then we have Ella, who's our four year old. We call her Boss Lady because everyone ends up working for her, but they don't know how. It's just a true story. And then I, this name that I'm getting for Gracie, my one year old, is like the bulldozer because she will have her way. Like, It is going to happen no matter what you want. And we've been here and we're excited to be here. And I'm excited to be here with you tonight to be looking at the word of God and and be talking about the bigness of God and how huge he is and how it should have an impact on our life immediately. But before we open up the Bible, I want to tell you a story about a friend named Megan Boudreaux. Okay, she's from Louisiana. That's where I'm from. You have to be named. You have to be from Louisiana. with a last name like Boudreaux, Right. No way could it be possible. Like many of you are just thinking about the butt cream right now. But no, Megan Boudreaux is my friend. She was, a, she was a cheerleader at Tulane, graduated from there. Shortly after, got a job. And after she graduated, there was this humongous earthquake that happened in Haiti. Does anybody remember that? It was like a global thing. The whole world stopped and started giving a bunch of money and going towards it. Megan at this moment started getting involved on the side with an organization where she would go down to Haiti and, you know, work with aid and give aid to the people of Haiti. And as she's doing that for a while, she comes back and talks to the leaders of the organization. She says, hey, I can't do it anymore. And they assume she can't do it anymore because it's such a mess. It's so devastating. It's hard to look at. I mean, when you look at what happened in Haiti, there's millions upon millions upon millions of, of dollars that have just been destroyed. There are 200,000 people dead or missing, hidden in the rubble of an earthquake and millions living in tents. It's complete devastation. Haiti was already the poorest country in the world, filled with corrupt neighbors that took advantage of them and even their own leaders. And here she's going down there. So they're like, we get it, it's a horrible place. You don't have to go there anymore. You can work stateside. She goes, no, 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 no. I can't do this anymore. I can't stay here. I need to go there. And like, well, what are you going to do? Because we don't have a full-time job for you. He's like, no, no, I don't want to work with you. God has pressed upon something in my heart to do something in Haiti to help with the problems that are there. And I have to go. And like, well, what are you going to do? She's like, I don't know yet. And so she goes to her fiance, who she's been engaged to. She dated through college. And she says, hey, God has pressed this vision in my heart. To go help with the devastation in Haiti. I'm moving down there. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I want you to come with me. And he says, hold on a second. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. That doesn't sound wise. You know, you're just one person. I'm not going to go with you. Or one girl, all right, that's going to go live in this foreign place. You don't speak the language. This doesn't. This sounds like a bad idea, Megan. No. And she's like, look, well, God has told me I'm going to do it. And she, and she holds her ground. And he says, well, I'm not with you on it. End of the relationship. For some of you ladies, that's the biggest nightmare in your life. For some of you guys, it's the biggest nightmare in your life that God would call you to do something, but it would cause you to split ways from people that you really care about. So she starts selling her stuff. She quits her job. Her friends are looking at her, they're having talks to her, like, what are you doing? This doesn't sound smart. This sounds crazy sounds way out there. What are you doing? She goes, I don't know. It's following the Lord. She gets there. She's got a little bit of money that she saved from working for a while and from selling all of her stuff. She's living in a tent on the roof of a Haitian person's house that she knows. For weeks, she's where God has called her to be, but she doesn't know what she's meant to do. She's praying, she's talking, she's thinking, she's brainstorming. She goes through, it goes for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And so one day she goes up and she walks up on this hill called the voodoo, called Voodoo Mountain, because it's where the, the voodoo priest lives at the top of that mountain. And she goes up there to pray. And it's been weeks, and she's frustrated and she doesn't know, and she's going, Oh my goodness, did I just make the biggest mistake of my life? Did I miss the sign? That I walked through the wrong door. God, speak to me. Tell me what's going on. Could you imagine the agony in her heart? She doesn't have a job. She just left her fiancé. Her family thinks she's crazy. She's living on the tent on the roof of some Haitian person's house. She's got no plan. But utterly convinced that God's called her to do something. And as she sits there and she prays, she resolves to stay. She's like, I'm going to stay. And she gets up, and as she gets up the leaves, she sees this child, this little boy, taking a rock and throwing it at a bird on the only tree on the mountain. Because all of Haiti has been just deforested. And she walks up to that little boy, and in perfect Haitian Creole, she goes, what are you doing? She doesn't speak Haitian Creole. And then she hears the boy speak back to her in perfect Haitian Creole, and she understands it and does not know how, but God is allowing her to have the language of Haitian Creole, and I'm not lying to you. I know this person. And the kids again say, hey, I'm throwing a rock at that bird because I'm hungry, and I haven't eaten in a long time. And I'm hoping if I hit it, I'll be able to eat. She's like, why do you need that? Why, would that? why would that have to be something that happens for you? Why don't you go get food from your family? Like someone care about you. And this child begins to explain, I'm a restavac. Meaning that my parents can't afford to pay for me to eat. So they've sold me into slavery into a neighbor or a friend or someone in another town so, so that they can eat, and maybe I will eat too. Begins to bubble up with her all going, oh my goodness. What if on this hill I can form an organization that starts feeding these children? Because apparently there's hundreds of them in the area. Or what if on this hill there could be a school where they can get education? What if this is what God's brought me? And she walks down and she's wondering, no, that sounds crazy. That sounds impossible. No way God could have called me to that. That's that's too big. I'm just one person. And as she walks down the hill, she bumps into a couple that's walking up. One of them is a pastor and his wife and they're walking up the hill and she stops and talks to them and she says, "Hey, look, I just feel like God is telling me to do this." And she tells what happened and then they just begin to weep and then laugh and then praise God and she's like, "What's going on? Are you crazy?" And they're like, "No, no, you don't understand. We've been walking up that hill for 20 years and praying that God would put a school for restive Act children on that hill." And if you go to her town today, you will see a school on that hill that has 540 Restiv children that go to it for free. And if you go to the bottom of it, you'll see a health center. And you'll see that there's a rec center to help kids get involved in sports so they don't get in trouble and they stay in school. And there's a feeding that happens once a day where they feed Restovac children on top of the hill. It's one of the most amazing works of God I've ever seen. It's incredible. Here's the thing of why your heart is beating, because every single one of us want to see God move in a way like that. But here's the part that we have to understand. In order for you to see God break up the storm, you have to be in the storm. Many of us, we want stories like that. We want to see God move and change. But what we have to realize and what I want us to understand tonight is that we, if we're going to follow God, he's going to lead us to places of certainty, difficulty, places that are storms, where the ground is shaking beneath our feet. And we have to trust him in those moments because if we do, we'll see him part the heavens and do a mighty work. But many of us, we don't want to go through that. Tonight I want to look at a story in Acts in Luke chapter 8 verses 22 through 25 where Jesus didn't figuratively stop a storm but actually did. And there's some important stories, there's some important principles in that that would help us grow to be the kind of people that follow Jesus in a radical way to see him move in amazing ways. So look at it, Luke 8 verse 22 through 25. It says, one day he and his disciples got into a boat He told them, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they were sailing, he fell asleep. Then a fierce windstorm came down on the lake, and they were being swarmed and were in danger. They came, and they woke him up, saying, Master, Master, we're going to die. Then he got up, and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves. So they ceased, and there was a calm And he said to him, where is your faith? They were fearful and amazed and asked one another, who then is this? He commands even the winds and the waves and they obey him. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this word where we see that not only do you just figuratively deal with the storms in our life, but you are master and God in control of all of creation. And whatever we bump into, Lord, when we follow you, you are bigger than it. And so, Lord, I ask as we look at this word, we would become more dependent, more amazed, and more fearful of you than we were before. We love you, Jesus, and we praise you. Amen. First principle right here. The storm is there on purpose. Whatever storm you're going through in your life, whatever thing you start following Jesus and you bumped into something, it's there on purpose. In fact, many times the storm is there because you follow Jesus. Look at the story. Who told them to get in the boat? Who told them we're going to go across the water tonight? Jesus did. He's God. He knows what's going to happen. Look back at Megan's story. She starts following Jesus. And look at all the adversity and storms and difficulties she had to walk through. When you look at Scripture over and over again, read through the book of Acts, following God is not easy. It's not for those who need a crutch. It's for those who are broken, who are depending on a mighty God. Some of you have experienced this. You start following Jesus, and you start following him in a certain way, and all of a sudden your friends start looking at you differently. You want to go on a summer mission trip, and your parents are like, No, we want you to get an internship, and they start saying you're part of a cult or something crazy. And when that happens, we we respond very much like the disciples. We begin to fret. We begin to worry. We begin to ask questions like, God, where are you? Are you awake? Do you see us? Do you care? Did I go the wrong direction? In those moments where you step out to follow God and trust him on whatever he's sending you, there's always a moment of, of adversity that comes. They go, oh, my goodness, am I going in the right direction? Guys, this is the sentence I have for you. Don't doubt in the dark what you saw so clearly in the light. Let me say it again. Don't doubt in the dark what you saw so clearly in the light. A lot of you went to SALT Conference this past spring. It was my first time going to it. It was amazing. And I saw so many of y'all respond with faith. And God, pressed things into your heart. Like, maybe I'll go to the nations. Or at least, at the very least, I'll go on a church plant. Or at least I'm going to do this. But a couple of months later, where you are now, you're worried about your future, your future employment, where your parents, their desire for you to stay in Iowa. Fear of the unknown begins to creep in. And you begin to think, maybe that was just a camp high. Maybe it was just a moment. No, 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 no. Guys, on the mountaintop, that's where we hear God speak the clearest. But in the valleys and in storms, that's where we see his hand at work. He pressed something into you, he spoke clearly. Guys, don't be surprised when you begin to follow Jesus that you hear bullet shots, that you hear explosions. There's an enemy out there that sees what God has pressed upon your heart. And he wants nothing more but to destroy it. Because you're already following him. He can't take your soul, but he could stop you from helping others find Jesus. Or he can at least get you busy on a life that seems urgent, but it's not important. It doesn't matter in eternity, but it matters a lot here. Don't doubt what you saw in the light so clearly in the dark. Don't be surprised. I mean, Peter, in 1 Peter 4.12, he says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the the fairy of trials when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange was happening to you. You haven't taken a wrong turn. You just entered into the battle. And the storm is on purpose. And here's the thing. God's purpose in allowing the storm is not to destroy you, but to mold you into his image. That's why the storm is there. See, Jesus knows. I, I, like, you're like, why was he asleep? Why did he send him to this? Because Jesus knew. When he was looking at the disciples, he knew that they were saying, yeah, I understand who you are and I'm following you. You're the son of man. I've heard you talk several times already. I get it. But he knew they, they didn't really understand who he was. And he wanted them to understand who he was. Right? They, for, for months they've been following Jesus and hearing him preach and do different things. Like, yeah, you're the Messiah. But, but when they see this, what does it say at the end of the passage? They were like, oh, my goodness. I knew you are the Messiah. I didn't know you were that much the Messiah. I didn't know you were that big of a God. See, what the storm revealed in them was their bad perspective of who Jesus was. And that's what God uses the storms in our life. Because when we bump into the difficulties after we follow Jesus, it's all of a sudden we have to go, okay, God, am I going to trust you or am I not going to trust you? Are you God or are you not God? Am I just trusting you with my mouth or am I really trusting you with my life? And it's in those moments, isn't that where your faith has grown? Think about it. When your faith was grown, was it at the hilltop at the most amazing worship service of your entire planet? Or was it at the lowest moment of desperation where God met you in that and pulled a miracle out? It's always in those moments that he works. And not only do we learn to trust him more, but it deepens our relationship with him. The most shaping moments are those moments in your life. So the storm, it's there on purpose. And when it comes, we shouldn't do what the disciples do and go, oh, my goodness. Do you care? Are you there? Instead, we should say, God, what are you trying to show me right now? And you stay the course, doing the last thing God told you to do. What was the last thing God told the disciples to do? Go across the water. Get in the boat and go across the water. I don't care what's in front of me. I'm bigger than the storm. Principle number two we need to understand is this is when the storm comes, we don't have to be afraid. Why? Because we know the God that says shh to the storm. We know the God that says shh to the storm. Look at what Jesus is doing at this moment. He's sleeping. I mean, they're panicking, they're freaking out, they think they're going to die. He's sleeping. Jesus knows who he is and he knows what he's going to do. He's not worried about the things that shake you, they don't shake him. He's bigger than them. He just stands up. In the story, what is it? He just stands up and he just goes, shh, shh done, you're done. And then he looks at the disciples, he's like, guys, where's your faith? Don't you know who I am? Haven't you seen me work? Trust me. Trust me. What's their response? First they're afraid of the storm. And now they're amazed and afraid of God. They look at him and they go, oh, my goodness. Even the waves and the wind obey him. You know what's the funny thing about this for me? Is that the, even the waves and the wind obey God, but sometimes I don't. And I'm not more powerful than a storm. Iowa, we learned that, right? I'm from south Louisiana. We get hurricanes all the time. But there's a big storm that came through Iowa and just devastated it. Just two weeks ago, it was when to hit Louisiana, a place that's used to hurricanes, and destroyed it. In a few minutes, those storms caused, it caused enough damage that it will take years and years and years and years for those places to recover from the damage that they, they received. Us as humans, we can't even, look at how big God is. We can't even build a house that would stand up to a storm. Our life is turned upside down for a few minutes of wind. God doesn't need to steer around the storm. He tells us to be quiet and move out the way. We have a low, a small view of a giant God and it needs to stop. God is huge, He's powerful. There's nothing that He cannot do, there's no problem that He could bump up against. That would worry him or even puzzle him for a second. Stories like this highlight his bigness and the right reaction is for us to be amazed by God and also a little bit of fearful of God. Why? Not because he's bad or he's mean but because he's big. You ever been around a jet engine like on the tarmac, and watch it go off? It will make your legs shake. Not because That jet engine's out to get you or it's gonna attack you or whatever, but because of how big and powerful it is. And there should be some healthy fear that we have of God because He is He is bigger than anything we have ever seen, but we give him the middle finger and say, Mm, -mm, we're gonna do it our way, not yours. Because we're in rebellion against him over and over and over and over again. And the only thing that stops him from executing justice on us is his patience and his peace and his mercy and his grace that he has for us. He's the biggest guy on the block. But as the biggest guy on the block, he's also the one that has the most mercy, compassion, and love. And because of that, we can have confidence in the darkest moments that we're, if we are with him, then he will see us through. There's no problem too big for him. And when we follow Christ, when you're in his boat, following his direction that he's called you on, when you bump into a storm, you don't need to be afraid because he's bigger than the storm. And we know that intellectually. But so many times I don't live it. See, so many times I fear the storm because I've forgotten whose boat I'm in. See, if the disciples were not in Jesus' boat, their reaction would have been right. And some of you in the, in this, here tonight, you have never, you're not following Jesus, never had. You're not his disciple. And so when the storm comes in your life, you are right to be terrified because all you have is the boat. You could change that tonight. All you have to do is what Jesus wanted the disciples to do, to recognize him for who he was. The God of all creation. Not just a little guy, but God. Recognizing that he paid the price for your sins so you could walk in a relationship with him. If you've never done that and you want some information about what does that look like, grab a salt leader, grab a staff member. We'd love to walk you through that adventure to begin walking in Christ. But you guys that are here, you guys that do know Jesus, have been following Jesus, we need to remember whose boat you're in. Look at the words that Jesus said. He says, where is your faith? Jesus isn't saying that they've lost their salvation. What he's saying is that no, 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 you are people who are following me, but you stop following me. You are people of faith, but you stop living as if you're people of faith. He's saying, trust me, I brought you here. I'm bigger than whatever you're gonna bump into. And when he rebukes them, he's actually bolstering up their faith. This isn't the only time that he would do this. Over and over and over through, through the Gospels, you see the disciples. They are filled with anxiety and worry and frustration. And Jesus is like, what are you worried about? I'm here. I'm right here. I got it. We're like that. And you know what God says to us in this moment? It's just amazing. He doesn't go, oh, my goodness, again. He says, my grace is sufficient in your weakness. My power is made perfect in your brokenness. My grace covers it. But he calls us up and says, no, no, no. Now live in faith. You've seen me move in that place do it again. Watch me do it again. Follow me again. See, the storm reveals to us. When the storm's in our life, they reveal to us the things that we're trusting in. For the disciples, it revealed that they weren't trusting in Jesus, but they were trusting in other things. So here's the question, guys. What boat are you living in? Have you forgotten whose boat you are in? You want to see God work like this? You want to see God work like the story I shared with Megan? Then then follow God wherever he leads you. See, maybe you're the kind of person that avoids storms and difficulties at all cases, at all ways. And every chance of you, like, I would never, ever want to enter into something like that. If you go speak to Megan today, there's not one moment that she would look at you and say, she would say, oh, man, I need it, the storms, to be a good steward of the moment that God was setting me up for. He was molding something within me. He was creating me for that moment. But some of us in this room, we will never see God act that way and our lives are around us because we live too safe. Your Christianity is too safe. You don't live as if you're in the boat with an almighty God that can tell a storm to be quiet at any moment. We forget the words that God has told us where he says this, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. The flame shall not consume you. For I am the I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And I'm not saying you'll never have any problems, man. If you look at Paul, that guy got beaten more than any of us in this room put together. But in Romans 8, he says this. He goes, hey, even though we're set out to slaughter, they're killing us every day. We are more than conquerors in Christ because they may take our lives, which we cannot keep. But we have Christ in eternity. You can't touch that. We're more than conquerors. This is my plea. Stay in the boat. Keep following Jesus. Wherever he tells you to go, no matter how dark the clouds look in that direction, keep following Jesus wherever he leads you. If God calls you to the mission field in China, go. If God calls you to Cincinnati, go. If God's calling you to go talk to somebody about the gospel, go. You're missing out on the abundant life. Life without Jesus is boring and ordinary and normal. You're called to so much more. It's not safe, but it's good. What adventure is safe? And you're not doing it alone because Jesus is with you. And he's the God that looks to the storms and says, Let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this word. Thank you that we have a picture of the thing that would terrify us more than anything, being in open waters without a rudder and overwhelmed by the sea and the wind. But just with the word, you say "shush," and it's done. God, we desire to see you move in magnificent ways amongst us. We desire to see hundreds of people come to know Jesus in you and I this campus. We desire to see churches plant it all over the country and the world around universities where the church has forgotten about the campus. We want to see you move mightily. Lord, give us the courage to take up our faith and follow you and trust you no matter what's in front of us, not because in the belief of our giftings or what we have, but in the belief of the person that we're following. And even if we die in the venture of following you, we still have you in eternity. Let us be bold, extraordinary people. Because we're filled by your extraordinary Holy Spirit. Not boring, not ordinary, but people who have a supernatural relationship with God. And we see God moving around us. Amen.